Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about architecture and human rights. On today's episode, I am joined by the architect and researcher Nina Valerie Koloratnik. Nina's work focuses on indigenous people's knowledge in human rights courts, spatial migration, and notational systems. She is currently a PhD student at the Human Rights Center at Ghent University. She's also the author of this great book called The Language of Secret Proof, Indigenous Truth and Representation. And this is a book where Nina challenges the conditions under which indigenous rights to protect and regain traditional lands are negotiated in the United States legal system. By using drawings, by using spatial notational systems, Nina attempts to produce documentation that speaks both to the native truths while also representing their culture of secrecy and oral history. So in this episode, we obviously talk about this book and that work and, and how she kind of got to do that. But we also talk about her architecture background and how that influences her thinking. We talk about the intersection of architecture and law, the blurry definitions of architecture today, and why she's drawn to the beginning of the design process more than the end. Don't forget, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listener support. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. These memberships help keep the show going, and members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that I think of as the sort of director's commentary for the show. It includes reflections and behind-the-scenes stories, uh, previews of upcoming episodes, and all sorts of other bonus content and interviews. If you want to help the show and see it continue, I hope you consider becoming a member. You can visit scratchingthesurface.fm for all the details. Thanks again for listening, and here is my conversation with Nina Kalavatnik. somebody who studied architecture, uh, but I would say your work today is not necessarily what uh, we might consider the normal bounds of architecture, the normal kind of definitions of, of what we consider architecture. And so to put your work into a context or to kind of give it a frame that we can talk about the work you're doing, I want to just go back to your background a little bit and talk a little bit about your your kind of journey into architecture and, and then transition into the work you're doing now. And so you studied architecture originally, but then uh, went on to Columbia for their critical curatorial and conceptual practices in architecture. What was, um, can you talk a little bit about that that kind of transition? Were you interested in being an architect uh, in like designing buildings? And then where did this kind of other interest and this kind of desire to go to Columbia come from? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me for this um, very interesting oh, um, podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. In regards to the first question, um, it's true. I, I um, started with a quite traditional uh, architecture um, education uh, at Graz University of Technology. Uh, it was a professional degree in architecture, um, but it became clear quite soon that um, build architecture, uh, in a traditional sense, I guess, is not <laughs> what I want to pursue. And uh, so already there, even though mm. it like a you know, university of technology and i um i did a thesis which uh, was looking at the israeli-palestinian conflict and the question um of palestinian refugees a return into today's israel um mm. which is you know a question very much tabooed on, on the israeli side yet um, of, of a constant present uh, for palestinians and um, my supervisor was um, um, actually not an architect. She was a cultural and migratory translator. That's, um, mm. And uh, within, uh, I guess, I, it, it took me two years. Um, it's like I, I had the privilege to work on the thesis for two years. It was it's quite a, it was actually quite an open uh, educational framework. And um, so I had several research days, you know, in the West Bank, in Northern uh, Israel, and, and I started a collaboration with Decolonizing Architecture there, mm. uh, which was then led by Alessandro Petti, Sandy Hilal, and Eyal Weizmann. And um, so after that kind of 
project, um, it, it was like quite clear to me that, that I want to, you know, architectures, diverse registers, um, the, the many other ways of, of architectural production and, and architecture's field of, of operating. Yeah, and, and, and I was looking for other like programs that, that could bring me there in a way. Mm. I thought like, I, I, yeah, I, I'd like to have another framework that, that helps me um, getting there um, also professionally. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I found this um, amazing two years um, master's program at, at GSEP, the Critical Curatorial and Conceptual Practice in Architecture, led by Felicity Scott and Marcus Yuda. Um, mm. And um, yeah, got accepted, got a full background, and <laughs> went to yeah, New York. nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and so yeah, this this program focused very much on on um, architectural criticism, publishing, curating, uh, exhibiting, um, and uh, we were um, so we could take classes in in both the architecture school. Um, so there was a year of classes, right, and then another year of thesis work and the year of classes um uh so we could take um and courses in other departments um which i gladly did so i <laughs> took several courses in the law department in the anthropology department and and try in a way um you know with with the, the tutors and then then uh of, of the thesis and then we also had this colloquium uh, where we could bring back in a way the knowledge we gained in, in other departments to, to the architecture framework and, and work it through there. Um, yeah. And I guess this, um, yeah, this very much helped to find my way. It's so interesting. I have like so many questions just based on, on that first answer. <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, it sounds like early in your, and I promise we won't spend this whole conversation talking about your kind of early architecture <laughs> education, but it's it's really fascinating to me that very early on you realized that designing buildings or building buildings was not for you and that you also studied under this professor uh, and did a thesis on migration and and things that you're still thinking about now. And so... Did all of those interests, it, it sounds, I guess, maybe I'm just kind of like wanting to make sure I'm understanding it. It sounds like so many of those interests really were there from the beginning. Um, I think so, yeah. I think they were, but they were kind of brought out by, um, mm. within the architecture um, education. I mean, there is obviously within every research design project, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we do um, a lot of field research. We, we I mean, I guess that's what I did. But, um, you know, you, you, you look into the site, you look into uh, the communities that inhabit the site, that formed the site. And, and so in a way, there, yeah, there were all of these components there that, um, and maybe I, I was then in the end more interested in, in those first steps of, of um, mm. architectural design and, and then... Mm took these tools in a way and, 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 and brought them to another place. On your website, you describe your work today as uh, kind of investigating forced migration and cultural claims of territory and spatial notational systems that operate within human rights debates. And it sounds like a lot of that sentence was there uh, in that thesis that you worked on and kind of what you then were doing at GSAP. Um, did you, when you were thinking about going to GSAP, and and I'm not asking you to kind of like look back and, and kind of think about what you were thinking, but did you have a sense that this work still was architecturally related? Like, like I think it would have been very easy to think about these things and think I should go study anthropology or sociology or human rights or law, which we can come back to talking about that. Um, but it's interesting to me that you stayed in the kind of architecture path, even if you knew you weren't going to, to be designing buildings. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about why you think architecture was still a frame to examine these things? Um, I mean, I, I think that... Um... 
having completed, I guess, an architecture education that uh, lasted, I think, six years of professional, um, you know, professional education, um, I um, first of all, I think I was convinced that like the tools I learned um, are um, are important, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, but they already, I mean, I already tested them within the, the within my thesis project of uh, where I, um, mm. you know, went with my with my uh, tools of, of visual understanding, uh, of visual visualization, of of um, social and political um, um, frameworks, um, and and. I also already tested uh, architectural visualization as a communication tool. So, so mm-hmm. knowing that these um, um, tools slightly, um, you know, shifting uh, shifting their purpose um, would actually benefit in in yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been I've been collaborating with with um, uh, with NGOs with also with. with um, Anthropology uh, and and legal scholars, um, and it seemed that um, the work that I was producing was um, of interest and and of and uh, would spark different discussions. Yeah, and, and I guess yeah, within within my um, within the first um, um, education that I received in in Austria, it, like the the architectures kind of. Different registers were not, in a way, um, taught uh, as, as you know. It's it, um, there was no no outlook. Um, like we were not trained to look outside of the boundaries of architecture, really. Um, and it uh, so this is, I guess, what really struck me from uh, also the um, GSEP's program that they. Um, like from the onset, they, they were trying to challenge these boundaries, and um, and for um, um, yeah, no architecture students to um, to look into different ways of architectural um, production, um, and not merely you know use. I mean, on the one hand, it's I guess um, uh, the uh, the tools and and the. Um, the media we use. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so um, within that programs, we completely and and this is maybe also so difficult. Um, turned out a little bit difficult because we we didn't engage in drawing uh, for two years. Right? So it was it was about writing. It was about creating. It was I mean a lot of of uh, scholarly research as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which which um, was totally needed also, and I really was kind of uh, looking forward to. Um, but on the other hand, it meant you know, um, yeah, you saw like you were working kind of next to um, the MRX students that were kind of exploring new new methodologies of, of drawings and new programs, and um, so you always had this kind of input. However, you were not. Um, yourself kind of exploring that so to me it was um i guess I still try to, <laughs> to yeah to work with um with the basic and main architectural tool which is drawing on a on a, on a different uh yeah i guess more theoretical and abstract level yeah and that's so that's this is so interesting to me for a couple of reasons because like you said earlier that you kind of realized early on that kind of that first stage of <laughs> of the architecture development visiting the site talking to people kind of figuring out the the kind of spatial plan that that was more interesting to you than actually kind of creating a building itself um which i i think you know proves that there is something in the design process that is maybe not the actual i, I don't mean to make such yeah like divisions here but are maybe not what we consider the actual kind of design part uh even though that is part of the design process the visiting the site interviewing people kind of thinking about the 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 planning and something that's interesting to me and that i talk about a lot on the podcast is kind of architecture and design discourse 
moving beyond or or you know maybe not focusing so much always on the object or the building but looking at the cultural conditions that surround it looking at um you know kind of larger political economic uh kind of influences on how that uh is affecting design and i'm you are kind of thinking about that from both a practice side of actually kind of using these tools but actually looking at kind of cultural conditions but i'm i'm curious i have, I have one more question about about gsap and then we can talk about your work specifically um was that in, was that kind of encouraged or or welcomed in the program that you were kind of using the tools of architecture using the tools of architecture discourse or criticism but not necessarily applying those to buildings and in again what we would traditionally think of as architecture you know what i mean like you were kind of looking at questions around migration and borders and 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 things like that um but using the tools of architecture was that encouraged at gsap was that kind of welcome yes definitely um so um I mean, on the one hand, uh, we also have to say that not all of, of uh, the students in that program were actually coming uh, from an architectural mm -hmm. background, right, right. Uh, which was interesting in itself, because um, for them it was even, um, yeah, it, it was a completely new, I mean, experience yeah. of architectural education, right? Um, and um, But, um, yeah, we were encouraged to... to, to um, to use different um, multiple facets of, 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 of architectural production uh, to look at, um, um, I mean, on, to look at on the one hand, um, architectural discourse and build architecture, reflect upon it, uh, build upon it. But on the other hand, yeah, also um, uh, looking at, at um, societal, uh, cultural, political um, problematics and, and topics that right. we were interested in. And, and we thought that um, our, um, our specific um, lens, our, our, special, um, our special lens and, and architectural education would, um, like, uh, and, 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 and a research about it would, would um, benefit these fields um, and, and these right. um, uh, discussions um right so yeah i, I guess um everyone also within this program was free to choose its own topic um mostly developed out of the courses that uh, more i mean the, the inputs we got from uh within this first year of kind of exploring what what columbia university had to as a whole which is obviously a lot and yeah so the topics were really diverse that that then were taken on. This perhaps is the question that I probably should have opened the conversation with, honestly. But for people who are unfamiliar with your work, and I, I, I keep kind of describing it as uh, outside of what we would would consider traditional architecture, and maybe that's a little bit unfair. But um, going back to the way you describe your work as kind of investigating forced migration, cultural claims of territory, spatial not notational systems. Uh, kind of human rights debates. Can you talk about what that means? And can you talk about kind of how your work uh, manifests itself through these subjects? Kind of what, what does that actually look like uh, in your work? I mean, maybe maybe it's also uh, interesting to, to start um, um, how um, my career path developed after. after mm, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I was during um, school. I was already um, working within the Azeroth Architectural Gallery at Columbia University. Um, so after that, I, I continued um, uh, as an exhibition coordinator and later, eventually, assistant creator there. And and um, and at the same time, I also um, started teaching a seminar series on borderlands migration, counter narratives, and, and kind of counter mapping at Columbia University together with uh, Nora Kawi. And um, so they were, in the one hand, kind of developing tools, right, as 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 an as a creator, as as um, uh, as a researcher, and on the other hand, um, yeah, uh, looking at um, diverse um, um, uh, 
topics related to to um, bordering, migrating, um, and um, the spatial, um, I guess, consequences. And I guess during the time, I also started an, an, an independent architectural research practice uh, situated in, 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 in similar uh, contexts of, of uh, cultural claims to territory, forced migration. Um, and my main working tool were drawings, were notational systems. Right. Um, so uh, those projects were mainly self-initiated. Um, I um, worked uh, through them with, um, maybe also interesting with uh, grants received for um, like uh, within the art, um, within the art field. <laughs> so um, as 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 architects usually, you know, don't don't work um, as as uh, independent researchers. It it was even a struggle where to, um, you know, apply for funding for the for this kind of work. Um, so I situated myself, yeah, within a kind of within art, um, artistic research, uh, even artistic production, and then also the like. There were actually in in Austria. That was one of the reasons also why I moved back to Austria because there there is a really good um, um, framework of of um, supporting. Um, both architects and, and artists, like there is, we have um, a department, uh, like an, uh, um, a cultural ministry, <laughs> right? Mm, mm, right, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, if we could only be so lucky here in, here in the United States. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, I'm also really lucky to get um, funding from, from the U.S., um, Right, lottery institutions or private institutions, right? So, mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, so 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 I started to developing mostly often in 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 collaboration with with other colleagues um, to um, to to work on on um, on projects often uh, self. Um, uh, initiated, but together with um, with local NGOs and communities, uh, to um, make visible and work through um, uh, struggles related to uh, territorial claims, to to mm -hmm. migration, return, and um, and one of the projects, for example, include um, um, a, a, a visualization writing and advocacy project against proposed surveillance towers on the town organization right. that I'm working on with uh, Caitlin Blanchfield, um, PhD candidate at, at GSEP, and, and Ophelia Rivas, which, uh, who is a, a tribal um, elder and activist uh, on the town organization. Um, and yeah, so so we have um, been uh, developing, for example, a counter environmental assessment that speaks to the settler colonial framework of U.S. Uh, environmental review processes and the absence of indigenous ways of knowing um, mm -hmm. uh, in its documents, right? Um, mm -hmm. Another yeah project was, for example, an, an exhibition um, on um, in Kosovo um, after a, a, a several months uh, residency uh, in uh, there, and so the exhibition was on on legal, spatial, and time-based realities of uh, property claims of home occupations and, and home exchanges in, in today's Kosovo. Another project uh, was um, looking at, um, uh, I guess, independent human rights activism uh, mm -hmm. that facilitates uh, movement of refugees um, at the time from the Turkish coast to the island of Lesbos in Greece. Um, which was which was a uh, a project that uh, we also uh, worked through uh, 
with like through courses at Columbia GSEP, um, mm-hmm. but then also continued individually and independently. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I to work on, on it simply. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Topic, yeah. Uh, I don't. I I hope this is not an unfair comparison. Um, and I, I'm I'm curious what you kind of think about this. When I first came across your work and and uh, started reading your book, The Language of Secret Proof, which I'd like to talk about in a second, um, I was immediately um, found myself thinking about uh, forensic architecture. And you mentioned Isle Weissman at the beginning um, as somebody that you worked with or, or had some sort of uh, kind of partnership with or something when, when you were in school. And I think the way that they use architecture in uh, kind of human rights violation context seemed similar to the type of work you were doing. Um, what, is that an influence on how you think about your work or is that a fair comparison of, of the work you're doing in, in the work of forensic architecture? Sure. I mean, I have been, um, I think uh, Al Weizmann is um, one of my, was one of my first mentors and uh, mm-hmm. I met him uh, before he, he started the forensic architecture um, program at, at Goldsmiths. Mm. And um, yeah, and I've I've been following their work ever since. Obviously, um, I really admire what what they are working on, and and how I mean that uh, they're actually um, uh, getting involved in 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 actual claims, and that they're, 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 yeah. they're, you know their work is is admitted as evidence in human right, claims. Right. It's amazing that they made. Uh, like they that they came that far, um, and it was uh, I know uh, like a big struggle in in a way that these kind of documents get um, accepted as evidence. Um, yeah, it 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 was uh, surely like always kind of in in uh, in the back of, of my mind what what uh, forensic architecture and this group is doing. Um, what I was. Um, yeah, um, and and there was, I guess, definitely always kind of the, this um, struggle in uh, in my head whether I should um, go and work with them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I thought, yeah, well, I mean, maybe uh, I'll try to find my own path in a way first. Yeah, and- yeah. I mean, I, that that makes total sense to me, and I don't like I don't mean to say that your work is is exactly the same, yeah. but I do think that there's a a similar approach or or even a similar philosophy, and I even think what you were just saying about how their work um, is now admitted as evidence is something that feels very relevant to your work, and is something that I was found myself thinking about um, in looking at your book, The Language of Secret Proof. So let's talk about that project. Um, specifically a little bit. Can you talk a, a little bit about uh, the origins of that book and kind of the the, the big ideas that you were uh, kind of working with with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, the research for this book actually began um, already in 2012 and in the context mm. of my thesis project at the CCP program at GSAP. Mm. Um, and so there I developed kind of the basic framework and and um and since then I continued uh kind of my research on, on concepts and practices uh of, of representing indigenous truths in Western legal frameworks. Um and um then uh, I, I continued uh, working uh, um, on it, and, and finally, in, in, I guess in, in 2017, I received a blessing from uh, the from the Pueblo um, governor mm-hmm. to publish the book. Um, so the book uh, focuses on um, the double bind. Uh, Pueblo communities in the American Southwest are confronted with um, when they become involved in a legal effort to reclaim um, and to protect ancestral lands. Um, since uh, the, the process of producing evidence runs counter um, to their structural organization around oral history and cultural secrecy. So in a way, this project challenges the conditions under which indigenous rights to protect and regain traditional lands are currently negotiated in the United States legal framework. 
And um, with the support of Hamish people, um, the members of Hamish Pueblo in northern New Mexico, um, I devised a set of, of spatial notational systems um, as an attempt to produce documentation that communicates native truths in a Western legal environment, um, while at the same time, and very importantly, respecting cultural secrecy and compliance with yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was the struggle of this project. Yeah, I mean, even just like, I, I mean, just reading the book was having trouble wrapping my head around how you even began to approach that of both something that could be considered evidence, but also maintain the secrecy of the tribe is just like mind boggling to me. <laughs> so yeah, having been interested in um, histories and struggles of migration and return and, and um, land ownership uh, in, in Europe, I was I was trying to uh, to get a better understanding of it uh, uh, within the U.S. So um, I um, went on and contacted a couple of um, lawyers, actually, um, that were working on indigenous land claims at the time, mm -hmm. uh, while representing indigenous uh, nations in their land claims. Um, and um, I made a trip to the Southwest, um, met... Uh, with one of them and um, was introduced to um, a couple of tribes, um, visited them, um, was, was invited to, to visit them and um, learn about, um, I guess, the Vice Caldera um, National Preserve uh, land claim of the Hemes Pueblo that was initiated um, only a year um, before I, I conducted them, it is now still ongoing, so it's developed into a really long legal struggle. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I explained kind of my, my, my interests and and, um, and they were, um, interestingly, even though um, the Hemos Pueblo is um, known to be one of the most strict pueblos in terms of of their um of their secrecy frameworks something that that comes up on this podcast a lot and and something that i talk about a lot and especially talk about with my thesis students who um when i work with graduate thesis students a lot of them are, are really interested in subjects similar to uh the types of things that you're working on where they want to uh you know use their the the design the tools of design and the skills that they have to help um either underrepresented communities indigenous communities you know people who i, I want to make sure that i like say this in, in the right way people who you know sometimes generally are left out of uh many of these conversations and there's always this tension that my students have and, and it's I, I call it kind of the designer savior complex where this sense of like they don't want to just be the designer who like goes in and like tries to save the day but actually like how do you embed yourself in that community and work with them instead of just kind of thinking that you have you, you know what I mean like you just have all the answers and it's like like for graphic design, especially, it's like, oh, we'll just like whip up some posters or, you know, or something like that. And I don't see any of that in your work. It is it, it has none of this kind of savior, uh, you know, you are the kind of architect flying in and, and saving the day and helping, uh, helping this tribe. And I'm interested in how you went about working with them and, you know, kind of um, you know, allow you know them feeling comfortable working with you and working through these kind of uh, you know you know this kind of culture of secrecy. Really, um, what was that like? How did you kind of think about that? Yeah, I think in in my case it was um, I was I was um, I had to be really careful on 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 how to approach the tribe, both um, because. I mean, I, I was um, I had a huge respect um, for for um, this this community and the, the culture that I didn't really know much about, and 
but also because I, I want I, I, I was interested in um, in their secrecy um, uh, framing of of uh, of their culture, right? And mm-hmm. so I was, um, and it was it was uh, like crucial to um, um, to communicate that I what I was interested in. Um, I mean, in order to to really get access to the tribe and 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 to um, to to gain a certain amount of trust, so I so I would be um, invited uh, to speak to representatives of the tribe. It was really important to communicate that uh, what I wanted to talk about was um, obviously not not the content of the secrets, but um, right. yeah, of 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 uh, this. Uh, Organizational yeah. structure of secrecy, right? And right. Uh, the, then, obviously, also the difficulties that the tribe is, is experiencing in in the face of um, U.S. evidentiary standards. So, um, and only after succeeding in in communicating my interests uh, and goals, uh, and and where um, also the potential benefit for for them in like uh, looking looking at my uh, potential work would be. Um, I I got the um, um, the go ahead from Pueblo officials that that I could um, that I could speak to um, to some people um, mm-hmm. in the community. So um, yeah, it, it was um, a really careful way of. Of communicating and to um, to developing a kind of a trust based relationship because I knew that I I would be touching um, like a really um, sensitive topic even though uh, I, I I made clear that I didn't want you know to go in like into the content of the secrets but um, but actually it turned out uh, to be really challenging to talk about the, the the structural um, elements of, of the secrecy construct uh, without talking about, um, <laughs> you know, what they're concealing. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But I guess this is where um, mapping and and, and 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 the visualization skills come come into play. Um, right. Uh, the um, they did not only translate from. From I guess from from a Western um, evidentiary, um, uh, which is you know standard of orthographic projection of, of maps and so on, traditionally used by um, expert uh, witnesses, being archaeologists or anthropologists usually, um, but um, like towards um, towards indigenous ways of understanding. Um, the landscape and and yeah. and representing them, um, which is mostly based on oral history um, rather than written word. It's it's interesting to me now, kind of hearing you like throughout this conversation, hearing you kind of talk about your own journey and and kind of your early interests, and I think it actually really puts the book into a, a really interesting context for me because now hearing you talk about your early education and this interest in kind of vi- the research part of it, visiting the site, talking to people, that's very much what this project is. And then talking about drawing and notation, um, not necessarily to design a building, but then to kind of communicate these ideas or to make something concrete or or evidence in some way is exactly what's happening here. And so the way that you're you're doing this is you're making these kind of notational systems, these kind of maps that, you know, kind of show the the structure in some way, which is very much what you were interested in all the way mm-hmm. back in your your undergrad experience, right? Right. And so do you I mean I don't I, I part of me doesn't want to ask this question, but <laughs> do, do do you see this work as an architectural project? <laughs> I guess okay. Let me let me let me let me ask this question in a better way. <laughs> I knew I didn't like asking that. Um, you know, because we've been talking about 
um, these kind of various definitions of architecture or that there are these kind of other ways to practice architecture without designing buildings. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested if in the work since your architecture education, the work you're doing now, the these notational systems that you show in the language of secret proof, has that reshaped how you think of architecture or what architecture or architecture education even can be? Yes, I think so. I mean, I like... I think all of this work wouldn't be like or the way I'm working wouldn't be possible without um my architectural education without my um interest in in um uh, in spatial settings in communities living in spatial settings right and like in in my interest in 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 um representing different layers of 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 uh like uh, social political um and and um yeah layers of 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 um i actually maybe it's it's a nice i i think this is something i have been uh, struggling with um and this is probably um i mean probably familiar to you <laughs> in the, <laughs> okay. in the, that uh, whether, you know, I, I should, um, I mean, I clearly know that there is, um, uh, that architecture's uh, boundaries are like definitely encompass the, the work um, that I've been trying to do. Um, to me, it was not, uh, not uh, so important to, to um, I guess, label myself as an architect. Uh, in the first place, but um, I guess also working outside of architecture, uh, mostly in the legal and human rights field, and, uh, like, you know, uh, I'm speaking a lot to um, legal scholars, anthropologists, in a way it was necessary to to constantly explain, um, you know, where I'm coming from, what, <laughs> where my home is, in a way, and uh, and um so it, it was interesting because m many of my co-workers or like or the people that I was surrounded with didn't, I mean, uh, didn't, it, they had an understanding of, of obviously what, 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 what built architecture is, but they're really open to, um, to listen to my um, thoughts about mm. what architecture el could else be. And, um, yeah. and I yeah. found um uh, if oftentimes I found it more difficult actually within architectural schools um, than mm. uh, working also again in in Vienna uh, teaching there to to communicate this um, uh, this, this 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 other practices of of architecture. Um, yeah. so I found more resistance within the architectural field itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right to me actually that makes that makes sense and that's why that's why I was kind of hesitant to ask that question or why I kind of didn't want to ask the question is because frankly it doesn't matter you know it doesn't yeah. matter if it's called architecture or not or if you kind of define yourself as architecture but there's something in that architecture background that clearly has an influence uh which I think is kind of what what you were talking about maybe one one interesting anecdote in this regard is that um I, I've been asked to um work um as a um uh, an expert consultant for the legal team uh, of uh, Hemes Pueblo for it turned out then out it turned out to be a short period, but nevertheless. And um, I had to be given a kind of a, um, a title, uh, for, mm. like uh, for my work, uh, so a, a work title in my position, <laughs> um, in as I would um, that that would be credible and and would kind of um, explain uh, my expertise and talk to my expertise. Um, and so I, uh, what the title that the legal team came up with it was expert uh, in notational systems mm. rather than expert uh, in, in uh, mm -hmm. rather than architectural expert, right? Right. right. And actually, yeah, there were several um, uh, conversations that, that, uh, followed on um, how um, my expertise could be framed for the courts because um, expert consultants obviously they are um, they need to have a certain um, package of um, expertise in order to um, have credibility in court right. um, 
And so, yeah, it, it was, uh, to me, it was striking that um, I was titled an expert in notational systems um, by lawyers, right? It, it was not, not architects that, that um, defined my expertise in that way. But um, since my work there, like, mainly consisted, um, like, I, I was not working with, with the built uh, architectural environment of, of, of the tribe, but rather um, looking at their their traditional spiritual religious um, connection to the land. And I was merely uh, using architectural tools uh, of visualization um, to describe and to narrate this connection and this um, um, belonging to, to the land. This leads into my kind of final question. I have two more questions. Um, because you just started um, your PhD in law um, at Ghent University's Human Rights Center. What? Uh, what's? Why are you doing that? I mean, it seems like that's kind of continuing the work that you're doing, but it also is is kind of moving a, you know, maybe expanding out beyond this kind of strictly architecture education. What's? Um, what are you thinking about now? How does this this PhD program fit into the work, and kind of where do you see that headed? Um, yeah, um, it's true. I just, um, <laughs> last week, actually. <laughs> um, Thank you for doing this yeah. right in the middle of your first week. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I would be working on, on evidence and indigenous peoples <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, uh, looking specifically at the uh, International Human Rights Courts, um, which at the moment there are three of, um, the Inter-American, uh, the, the African and the European, and how indigenous peoples uh, have, uh, like, what's their access to these courts uh, and uh, what kind of... Um, um, Restrictions the uh, evidentiary regime um, puts on um, traditional representation of of of, mm. of indigenous knowledge, um, and so um, to me, enrolling within a um, law school um, was um, in a way important at this point um, uh, because I found myself. Um, you know, like every project that I started was kind of embedded within the human rights um, field, and uh, I just um, wanted um, to to um, obviously to, to have um, a um, to build up my scholarly expertise on, on human rights issues and like have like really gain gain a background in. Um, also, in different case laws and and. Um, having the possibility to spend time on 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 how evidence uh is really important right. and works and um and i th- i also in a way found it important that um i have this additional education in order to um to work more effectively in that field because right. at some point um <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was just, um, it's, yeah, I don't know if, if I actually, you know, should, should say that, but. Um, I mean, is it like, I, I, I don't mean to, to say it like, is it almost like legitimizing in some way, you know, like, like I, part of me almost feels like having this degree or studying law, it almost makes it feel yeah, like real, like you're not just like you know drawing pictures. You know, I'm not saying yeah. that's what you're doing, but it probably has that feeling sometimes. Yeah, it was just. Um, it, I, I'm hoping to have more impact, like with, yeah. with this uh, degree and uh, like with this education, and and to 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 really um, find um, better ways to insert my. I mean, I definitely would like to continue working um, with my architectural skills, and and I think like. I also applied to a program that that gives me the opportunity to work in an interdisciplinary way. So, so it's like my 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 background is appreciated, and I was submitted because of it <laughs> and because of my previous work. So, yeah, like it gives me the opportunity to, to develop this work within 
you know, within a legal framework and um, gives me kind of a safe space of, of finding my, uh, uh, my place within the territory, but, but still, you know, within an educational um, setting. I will be, yeah, I guess a doctor in, in law afterwards, but I, but 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 I won't be a lawyer. So it, <laughs> so I guess I, I still continue working as an independent architect. <laughs> no. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my last question, and and I guess this, this is perhaps a weird question to ask one week into your PhD program, but I'm just curious what you're reading right now. Well, I'm I'm reading, um, I guess mostly um, not yet really legal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm reading, um, for example, um, as we have always done from Lian Betamosaka Simpson. Um, um, yeah, which um, I don't know whether that should go in the podcast, but this is. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading as I'm actually looking for another member of my committee, right? Mm. And so I'm looking for an indigenous rights person that mm. um, that would understand, like both my um, my my uh, right my work as as an architect, my my visualization work, but also um, is um, very much into in indigenous um, studies and rights and. Um, yeah, could could help me to um, yeah. to go along this path. Um, I'm constantly surprised by the people that listen to this podcast, and so if they're in some way <laughs> that this interview finds your new t- team member, I would be the happiest person. <laughs> uh, that would be great. That's such, it's such like a good way to to wrap up this conversation. To Nina, thank you so much for um, for being on the show. I'm a big fan of your work, and I think that that your kind of approach to, to your work is so interesting and unique. And it was so nice to kind of hear more about how you think about it. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> this episode was recorded on December 9th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Morgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.